0: Uh, 1 Samuel 19, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel 19, and we'll be looking at the uh, first five verses to begin with in the entire chapter this evening. The Bible says, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand before my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works Uh, have been to to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? The title of the sermon this evening is this. David becomes a fugitive. David is going to begin... Um, Over the next several chapters, it begins right here, running from the law, running from Saul. He's going to be on the run. He's going to be doing right, but in a very miserable state. And so we'll see those events tonight. And in particular, we're going to talk about Saul's bitterness and how that hurt Saul and how God would use the bitterness of Saul to help David. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for this place and this time and this chapter of Scripture. One that isn't preached out of very often, but yet, Lord, some critical truths here for us to take in. Lord, help us to examine our hearts. Help our perspective of your sovereignty uh, to be refreshed and renewed. Thank you, God, that you are constantly looking to work a work in each of our lives and hearts. You're looking to grow our faith. You're looking to make us into that image of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, tonight... Help us to understand the passage and grow thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, you, uh, if you've been attending here any length of time, you know that I enjoy um, breaking things up into categories, and uh, my, my, my mind works via an outline and pretty much everything I do, especially when it comes to uh, studying the Bible and so forth. Uh, my own uh, sake of, of study and outline, I have seen that from 1 Samuel 16, where we meet David, through chapter 18, we have David's rise. David's rise, he went from anonymity, nobody knowing who he was, living on the backside of the wilderness, taking care of feeding the sheep, to where now everyone in Israel know uh, who David is. He's a household name, he's had his rise in fandom, he's had his rise in popularity. Chapter 19 to the end of this book, 19 to the end of 1 Samuel, we're going to find David's, we're going to see David's refinement. God is going to use a series of events to refine David, uh, to purify David, to draw out the the shortcomings of David and cause those to rise to the surface and show David where he falls short. And that begins right here in this chapter. God is going to refine David to get him to be uh, exactly who he wants him to be in order to reign and rule over Israel. Now, when we get to Second uh, uh, Samuel, what we'll find is David's reign, where David reigns and rules in Jerusalem. Now, God is uh, going to have to break David down before He can build him. Up. uh David has risen in fandom. Chapter 18, where we were at uh, three weeks ago, told us that David behaved himself wisely, but God is going to ratchet up the pressure, turn up the fire under David. And all of a sudden we're going to begin seeing some mistakes that David is going to make. And we'll see that beginning tonight you see god could not let david rule and reign in, in jerusalem uh and and reach his full capacity to the lord for the lord and 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 hit his stride in being king and and end up being uh, israel's greatest king until god first pulled out the problems and the shortcomings in david's life in the fall of 2012 i was 29 years old and the church i was serving in was in between pastors the deacon board had come to me and asked me for my resume. Um, I remember an older man on the church staff. He, uh, he, he came to me and he was all excited. Uh, and he said, you're going to get the job. You're going to get the job. I just know it. You're going to be the next pastor. You're going to get the job. And I just have to tell you, something in my heart told me I was not going to be the next pastor of that church. There was a nervous energy of both uh, me and my wife. My wife was more nervous and I had the energy. Amen. Uh, But um, we were uh, anticipating the possibility of that happening, stepping from the assistant pastor position into the pastor position. But something in my heart told me that this just wasn't the right fit, that it wasn't going to happen. I remember as though it was yesterday, I was standing in this assistant pastor's office and I looked at him and I said, out loud, I said, I just don't think so. I don't think I'm ready to be the pastor of this church. And by the way, I wasn't just ready to, not ready to be the pastor of that church. I wasn't ready to be the pastor of any church. And I looked at him and I said, my life to this point has just been way too easy. It's been way too easy. I grew up in a Christian home. Um... You know, sat under good preaching my whole life. I went off to Bible college and got an education, met my wife and married her. Um, A little bit of adversity right out of college, just a little bit, not much. I I mean, my life had really been pretty smooth sailing. And I arrived at this spot, spot, I'm 29 years old, and a large church uh, is in the in the realm of possibility of where I could be a pastor. And I looked at that older man who had pastored and now working on that church staff with me. And I said this to him. I said, my life to this point has just been too easy. I said, God has not allowed me to struggle enough in order to inherit such a lofty and important position. Those words were prophetic. I did not become the pastor, as you know, and God would use the next several years to refine me. He would send a lot of hurt and pain. Um, I was not a fugitive like David became a fugitive. My life was never in danger. Amen? But I felt like a fugitive at one point. Why does God allow hurt before He allows something great? Well, the answer is simple. He's refining you. You understand that God does not let hurt just accidentally land in your life. Anytime someone mistreats you or wrongs you or a problem uh, kicks you in the mouth or sets you back or knocks you off the track and pushes you away from the plans that you had for your life, God has signed off on that child of, if you're one of His children and He's allowing you to grow. He's trying to refine you. Now, the better we are at learning these lessons the shorter the refinement time is. The, 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 the worse we are and the more stubborn we are and hard-headed we are at learning these lessons, God may take a long time, even a lifetime, to refine us. God allows us to struggle and suffer before He allows us to see great success. Someone worded it this way, and I would encourage you if you don't have this quote memorized or are not familiar with this quote, I would encourage you to write this down. Someone worded it this way. They said, God generally does not use a man or woman greatly until he allows them to be hurt deeply. God generally does not use a man or woman greatly until he allows them to be hurt deeply. And I must say that I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Wholeheartedly agree with that statement. First Peter chapter one. If you, you don't mind, turn over there. First Peter one. And I'd like for us all to look at this verse this evening. It's a verse on a Sunday evening, Sunday evening crowd. Most of you will be familiar with it. But I went and I I have looked at this verse many times over the last ten years of my life, many times when I've gone through a hardship. I have found my fingers turning the pages over to first Peter chapter 1 and to this passage here. And This passage has done a lot of firming up my faith in God and helping me understand that God is working a greater work in me. Look at verse number 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Why was David going to become a fugitive being chased all over the wilderness? Because God was trying his faith like gold. He was turning up the fire to refine him, to prepare him to be king. In our story this evening, we're going to see a disgruntled and desperate man in King Saul. We're going to address his bitter heart. We're going to see how bitterness creates pain and chaos, both to oneself as well as everyone else who is close to that person. We will address bitterness. I ask that you evaluate your heart for bitterness tonight. And if you see it there, uh, then you have a responsibility to uproot it and deal with it before it destroys you and others. We will also see how God used the bitterness of one of his servants to refine another one of his servants. God is so great that he can use the sin of one person to make another person better. You understand that God can take someone's wrongdoings toward you to refine you and make you into exactly who he wants you to be. So let's look at two main thoughts this evening. If you received one of those half sheet outlines, I encourage you fill in the blank, take notes, not only uh, the blank, but if God speaks to you on something, write it down so you can review it later. Let's look at this title. David becomes a fugitive. Number one, notice Saul's emotion. Saul's emotion. We're going to spend a few minutes here talking about bitterness. Notice letter A. His bitterness was intense. His bitterness was intense. Is my microphone on, Brother Joe? It might be me. Oh, there we go. All right. His bitterness was intense. Look down at verse number 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 19. The Bible says, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they... Should kill David. Wow! What is going on? Now in chapter 18, we see that Saul tries to kill David. Remember, he throws the javelin at him not once, but twice. We see that uh, Saul covertly tries to kill David by making him a general over a thousand soldiers and sending him out to war, putting him in the heat of the battle, if you will, so he would die. And then he gives him a bounty and says, if if you can bring in this bounty, I'll let you marry my daughter, and, and, and hoping that he would go out trying to earn his daughter's hand and would die in the process. But no, David does not die. In fact, David doubles what he's asked of, and David comes back, and now David is strengthened in Israel. He's even greater in Israel. He now has not only um, a popularity, but he has a title. He is the king's son-in-law. He is now royalty himself. And now Saul, the Bible says, has become afraid So now Saul is switching from a covert personal vendetta of taking out David to where now he is going to directly send his advisors after him. He's turning the army and even his own son against David. He calls a cabinet meeting, if you will, and he says in this cabinet meeting, he says, objective number one, kill David. Take him out. I can see the... You know, Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State and all of the other advisors, if you will, sitting around the table looking at each other like, David is Israel's most popular man and you want to kill him? I just don't know that that went over real well. In fact, they're all kind of looking at Jonathan like, Jonathan, that's your dad. you 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 got to do something you got to do something. So the meeting uh, breaks, and, and Saul goes to David and, and says to David, Listen, my dad is head hunting. He wants you dead. Listen, go out in the field and hide for a couple of days. Just lay low, and, and I'm going to talk this thing over with my dad. Uh, how intense does your bitterness towards someone have to be before you are ready to kill them? Uh, look over at Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Hebrews 12. Hold your place in 1 Samuel 19. Another familiar verse, but one I think that uh, it just needs to be used this evening. Hebrews 12, and look at verse number 15. Hebrews 12, 15. Bitterness is one of these things that can take up, uh, take up root in our heart and defile us. It can spoil us. It can hurt us, and it can hurt relationships. It, it, it can be the poison that defiles everything around us. Look at verse 15 looking diligently, Hebrews 12, verse 15, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Saul had a bitter root that had begun before David became part of that picture. You understand that Saul had become bitter before Saul ever even knew who David was. You with me tonight? Now David would become uh, the, 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 the person who would receive that bitterness. But this bitterness will not begin with David. This bitterness began when Saul, or rather Samuel looked at Saul and said, God is taking the kingdom away from you and he's going to give it to another. That bitterness began to boil in his heart. That bitterness, if I could use another analogy, began to go down deep and take up root. David comes along and David does nothing to deserve this. And the the anger and bitterness toward David grows so intense. The jealousy goes so deep that he wants David killed. Every time David shined, every time David shined, the evil spirit of jealousy and envy plagued King Saul. The better David did, the more intense the bitterness became. Number letter number one, Saul's emotion, letter A. His bitterness was intense, but let's look at letter B. Notice his bitterness was irrational. It was irrational. Look at verse number 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 2. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David, saying... Saul my father seeketh to kill thee, now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand before my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see that will I tell thee. Alright, look at verse 4. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and speaking of Goliath, slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Hey, Dad, thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And so as I said, uh, uh, Jonathan sends David into the field to hide and uh, uh, David and Saul go for a walk in the field and uh, David uh, rather Jonathan Jonathan saw go for a walk in the field Jonathan just says to dad he says he says hey dad what are we doing here come on now you want us to to kill David what did David ever do to you how did David ever earn this kind of treatment. Listen, David, when no one else was willing to, he went down in the valley, he put his own life in his hand, and he took out the giant on your behalf, Dad. Had he not been willing to go down there and do that, who knows what would have happened? The outcome may not have been uh, as peachy keen, if you will, as it was. And here you are now wanting him dead, you have no cause for wanting to kill him. Now, uh you and I Looking at this situation, along with Jonathan and everyone else, would say, There is no reason for Saul to want to kill David. What would we say about that? We would say, Saul is acting in a way that is irrational. But do you know that to Saul, David's death was not irrational? Jonathan finishes out verse 5 by saying, Without a cause. You have no cause. You have no cause. Can I tell you that tonight, Saul believed he had a cause. To Saul, there was a cause. Now, Saul was able to see in the conversation with Jonathan that his cause was irrational. But make no mistake about it, Saul had a cause. Now, when you become a bitter person, you become very irrational. You become very irrational. Especially toward the one that's done you wrong, or the one that you believe has done you wrong, or in Saul's case, um, there was no wrongdoing, but he was just envious, and that envy had turned to bitterness. I stand up here tonight, and I preach. Um, I preach about bitterness, and I think if we're not careful, we can come away with the conclusion that um, I'm a terrible person because I'm embittered. And I want to say tonight, I'm not here to throw a stone at anybody in the room or watching online that's embittered. Do you know that someone can really do you dirty, and that can make you bitter inside? You, you can have, a, okay, have you, ever, have you ever eaten a really hot pepper? If not, show up Friday night, Pastor is going to take good care of you, amen? He's got some spicy food he's going to give our teens. You ever had a really hot pepper you put in your mouth, and it, you were just bitter? Your mouth was just bitter. When I was a little boy, I wasn't that little, I was 14 years old, we lived in... Uh, Alabama, right across the street from the church. and um, come summertime, my mom liked to have all the kids in the house do something she called quiet time. Quiet time. This was an hour in the afternoon where we could either read our Bible, read a book, or sleep. And uh, this had been going on since I was a little guy. Well, we moved into this church uh, parsonage and um, right across the street was the church's gymnasium. So lo and behold, about 11:30, I would disappear for about four hours. I wasn't doing quiet time. I was playing basketball, amen. I wasn't going to be anywhere near the home. I wouldn't read no book. I was going to be playing basketball. Well, um, my mom had twins, and uh, they were young, two years old. They're in bed uh, taking a nap. She had a hard time getting down that day. And me not knowing that, I came home while my mom was laying down. Uh, you know, my mom's delirious. She's a mother of seven children, ages 13 down to, you know, newborn. And and um, she's got a husband who's doing a new diet. She's got to cook three meals a day uh, separate from the family for that. And, and she's just getting very little sleep. And so she laid down to sleep. Well, I came home with a pepper someone had brought to the church to give away. And this was a step above a jalapeno, a habanero, I think it was. And, and I said to my sister, Hannah, I said to Hannah, I said, this is the sweetest tasting pepper that you have ever had. And she said, no, I don't believe you. I said, no, I, it really is. It's, it's sweet. And so uh, I, 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 I persuaded her into taking a bite out of that pepper and sure enough she took a bite and the next thing i knew she started screaming at the top of her lungs and the babies woke up and started crying and that was my cue to to leave i jotted i sprinted out the back door and i was gone till about seven o'clock at night amen um i didn't want to be anywhere near my mom in that fury so uh listen you get a bitter taste in your mouth you get a bitter taste in your mouth it's not always your fault That wasn't Hannah's fault. That was my fault. I deceived her into that. Sometimes you're just walking along through life and life happens, and the next thing you know, you can feel embittered. Let's just pause the story for a minute and and, and not look at it from Saul's perspective, but David's perspective. Did David not have a, a, a scare quotes here? Did David not have a right to be bitter at Saul for what Saul was about to do to him? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, Saul, David's about to live out of caves. David's going to be a fugitive for many, many years, close to a decade. And David does not become bitter towards Saul. But Saul has allowed the circumstances of his life, and is really his own choosing, to cause him to be bitter. And now he has become irrational. Can I just say this to you tonight? Are you listening up? Are you listening up here? If you have bitterness in your heart, there's a good chance, and I'm not condemning you. I'm just trying to help you have a little bit of a reality check here. If you have bitterness in your heart right now, there's a good chance you are behaving in a way that's irrational. You're behaving in a way that's irrational. At the very least, toward the person or circumstances that made you bitter. And it's likely even beyond that toward other people. Because bitterness was irrational. Letter C, notice, the root was ignored. The root was ignored. Look at verse 6. And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence As in times past. Here we see, we're going to keep reading in a moment, we see that Saul is going through the motions of forgiving David and letting things go. He makes some half hearted statement about how he'll never uh, make an attempt on David's life. Listen, folks, we're not even going to make it to the end of the chapter, and Saul is going to try to kill David. He didn't mean it. He's just going through the lip service. He is going through the motions of forgiving. Um, was your mom like mine when you were little and you did something wrong and she pulls you and your sibling in and says, Say, I'm sorry. Now, mean it. How many have parents that did that to you? Okay. You know what I'm talking about? And you didn't mean it, but I'm sorry. Hug each other. All right. Um, you just sort of, sort of forced through the motions. It, it, this kind of has that feel a little bit. All right, Jonathan's playing the parent here between David and Saul. And Jonathan's, look, Dad, you have no reason to be upset with David. And all right, all right, I won't kill him. And David brings, uh, uh, Jonathan brings David into Saul's presence. And the two of them make up, if you will. And things, quote, unquote, go back to normal. But things are not back to normal. Look at verse number 8. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines. And Saul slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. Look at verse 9. We see David's success in verse 8, and then we see uh, the, the evil spirit come back in verse 9. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. What happened here? What happened here? Well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. David went out to war just like before. David had led Israel to a great victory just like he had prior. David came back looking like a hero just like he had before. And Saul went right back to a spirit of envy and jealousy and bitterness and anger and was furious at David. Why? Because he had never truly dealt with the root of the bitterness. He didn't deal with it. He gave lip service to it, but when David saw success, Saul went right back to that evil spirit of envy and bitterness and hatred and the desire to have him killed. How do you know that you are totally forgiven someone? You've totally forgiven someone. I can tell you one way. When their name is mentioned in your presence, your heart pressure, your, your, uh, your blood pressure does not change. Right? Your, um, your heartbeat doesn't change, right? And that doesn't mean you've got to become their best friend. That doesn't mean you've got to run around and be buddy-buddy. That doesn't mean you have to have any relationship with them. But we, you can look at someone and think to yourself, okay, I've totally let that go. You know you've uprooted that bitterness. How about when a situation is mentioned of something that really hurt you deep? When you can get to the place where God's grace has been poured all over you, and you've let that go, you know that bitterness has been removed. It's been removed. Saul, that was not the case for Saul. He had not forgiven David. He had not let that thing go, and now that bitterness is eating him alive. David sees success. Saul goes right back to being angry, right back to being angry, Saul's emotion. Number two, we see David's escape. David's escape. Now, in preparation for this message, I I read and read and read the passage and I studied the passage and um, then I started pulling down a a few commentaries of mine and I I read the commentaries of a couple of different people and, and I was left scratching my head because I felt as though they were being way too hard on David in this passage. And then I remembered that, you know what? Uh, David is being refined by God. And so David's mistakes are meant to be highlighted right here. Let me just say that in this situation, I don't know that I would have handled it any different than David did. I'm just telling you the truth. I don't know that many of you would have handled it much different than David did. But we're going to see that God is refining David through this. He's refining him. Now, Do you have anyone in your life that's just awful to you? And if you do, I I don't need you to tell me who it is. Amen? But stop and think about that. Maybe it's just someone you see a couple of times a year at a family reunion. Maybe you bump into them every day at work. Um, In a room this size, we probably have everything in between. You have someone that's just awful to you. And you think to yourself, why do they treat me so bad, and, and why is this ongoing? I used this illustration some time back, and so I'm not going to give every detail of it, but remember when I shared with you, the church, some time back that my mom had taught me about sandpaper people? How many of you remember that? Sandpaper people? Only three hands. So you're going to have to hear the illustration all over again. Amen? I had a, I had a young man in my, in my class who was just really giving me a hard time. And nine months of being in a class with a child who's just, a a, a peer who's just, just intent on torturing you verbally in every way possible, nine months feels like forever. Feels like forever. And uh, I would come home and I would moan and mope and complain about how terrible it was to my mom. And finally my mom looked at me and said, you know, you need to learn how to handle this young man because... You're always going to have somebody in your life who God is using to rub the rough edges off. This person is like sandpaper in your life. God is using them to make you better. You know what Saul was to David over the next decade? He was sandpaper in David's life. You know, if I was God, you know what I would have done? I would have, like, thumped Saul off the scene right after Goliath. And I would have just made David king. I mean, he's behaving himself wisely, 18 tells us, chapter 18 tells us. Looks like he's good to me. Let's stick him in there. But God looked down at David and said, He's not ready yet. And yes, Saul is plagued with the evil spirit of bitterness and anger and envy. I'm not done with Saul either. I'm going to leave Saul in that position of, of, of the kinghood, the kingship. I'm going to leave him there for the sole purpose of preparing David to be the next king. Did you know that co-worker at work who drives you crazy, God very well may have them right where they are because He's trying to refine you. Did you know that um, that rough spot in your marriage where you and your spouse just can't seem to get along for anything, did you know God's trying to use that to refine you? Sometimes God allows people who are broken into our life because he's using them to shape us and make us into exactly who he wants us to be. Now, I want to say to everyone here tonight, I'm not running around the platform and I'm not screaming and hollering at the top of my lungs and, and I'm not preaching some impassioned sermon. But the truths I'm sharing right now will really help you if you'll listen. It'll really help you. God is going to use people who are broken in your life to fix you. Fix you. God could have pulled Saul right out of there and put David in, but he said, no, I'm not done with Saul. I have a purpose for Saul. Saul has turned his heart over to bitterness. I'm going to use embittered Saul to make David into exactly who I want him to be. But how about David? We're going to see over the rest of the chapter, David really only makes one good decision. We'll get to what that decision was in a few minutes. But David, instead of trusting in the Lord, decides to trust in his earthly alliances. He decides to lean on his own understanding. And as a result, there's a whole lot of damage that's done between Saul's bitterness and David's uh, David's leaning on his own understanding boy, we see quite a bit of damage that it begins to happen here in David's life. Notice letter A, his friendship was disrupted. His friendship was disrupted. Look at verse number 2, 1 Samuel 19, verse 2. The Bible says, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. Next week, when we get to chapter 20, we're going to devote an entire sermon to the relationship that David and Jonathan enjoyed. Here in chapter 19, we see that as far as Scripture is concerned, this was the second to last time that David and Jonathan would have any contact with each other. David, beginning here, David is no longer relying on God to help him with Saul. He is relying on Jonathan. He's relying on Jonathan. Now, His friend did everything he could to help him. Jonathan was an admirable man, but Jonathan was not God. Jonathan was not God. Jonathan was limited in what he could do to help David. And while Jonathan did everything humanly possible, therein lies the problem. He only did what was humanly possible. Now, was David anointed to be Israel's next king? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yeah. If he had not gone to Jonathan to help but turn to the Lord, would it have Saul killed David? No. No. David was going to be Israel's next king regardless. But David did not turn to God here. David turned to Jonathan. Because of this, the sin of Saul, this beautiful, because of the sin of Saul and David's decision to rely on Jonathan, this beautiful friendship, In fact, one of the most beautiful friendships in the entire Bible was interrupted. David and Jonathan's interaction in chapter 20, we see after that they never speak again. And then Jonathan is killed in battle by the Philistines. What do we see here? That sin brings forth separation. Sin brings forth death. The friendship severed. Letter A, we see uh, his friendship was disrupted. Letter B, we see his wife was deceitful. His wife was deceitful. I'm just going to throw this out here. All right. I don't believe that Michal ever truly loved David. I just don't think she did. I think that uh, back in chapter 18, I think that she was in love with being in love. But I don't think she was actually in love with David. I think she loved the idea of being married to the most famous man in the country at the time. But I don't think she ever loved David. In fact... Um, we're going to see here their marriage is going to be put on pause. In fact, Michal is given to another man to marry for a short time, and then when they get back together, David brings the the um, Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and then uh, she scorns David in her heart. There's just not ever a good, solid marriage between David and Jonathan. And I just want to say this, slip this in right here, uh, but rather. I'm getting all kinds of names mixed up tonight. <laughs> Marriage between... David. They were never married, amen? I better clarify that real fast. David and Jonathan uh, were never married, amen? Uh, between David and Michal. Now, I'm going to move on real fast to save embarrassment. David and Michal. David and Michal, um, let me just get this in here, they married for the wrong reasons. They married... David married Michal, I believe, because he got the prestige of being the king's son-in-law. He didn't love her. He didn't love her. You say, how do you know he didn't love her? Because in a handful of chapters, he's going to go just often marry another woman. And then another, and then another. You say, well, how do you know Michal didn't love David because of what she's about to do right here in this chapter? Yes, she saves his life, but she does it. In, she, there's some weird, weird stuff going on. To the young people in the room tonight, you make sure you marry God's will for your life. Don't just get married for the sake of getting married yeah I'm speaking to you you children in here. As you get older, the time's going to come. and let me say this to you: It's fun knowing that someone likes you. It's fun knowing that someone of the opposite gender is infatuated with you. It's fun knowing that someone thinks that you're cute or handsome or pretty, but you don't ever fall for uh, the idea of being in love. No, you wait on God's perfect will for your life, and you marry that right person. Or otherwise, you're going to end up marrying into a situation that is a nightmare. The nightmare. And that's exactly what happens with David and Michal, and their whole marriage just begins to fall apart. Look at chapter 19, look at verse 10. And Saul sm- sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. And he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul um, also sent messengers into David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Mikal David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed "...and put a pillow of goat's hair for the bolster, and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him uh, up to me in the bed, that I may slay him. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed um, with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto me, Call, Why hast thou deceived me so, so?" and sent away mine enemy, uh, that he is escaped?" And Michal answered Saul, we see the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, he, David, said unto me, let me go, why should I kill thee? Why should I kill thee? Now, I had not noticed this in this passage before studying for this message. But when Saul questions his daughter, why did you let him get away? Her answer is, he threatened to kill me if I didn't let him go. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. That doesn't sound like a very loyal wife, does it? I don't see that. You say, well, she's saving her own skin and lying to get out of the tough spot. Maybe, maybe, but I don't see a lot of loyalty here. Furthermore, the word image in verse 13 comes from the root word translated idol or graven image in other places in the Old Testament. It would seem that she took one of her pagan gods that she had in her house and put it in the bed and then put goat's hair around it to make it appear that David was sick in bed. So when her father catches her, she makes some excuse for herself by saying, again, David tried to kill her. David was was trying to kill kill her. And David and Michal would be separated from each other for years. And Michal would even be given to another man. And Saul's bitterness toward David and David's inability to trust God to protect him now has not just cost him a friendship. It's now cost him his marriage. Cost him his marriage. Now let me speak to those of you in here tonight that battle with bitterness. Can you see how bitterness hurts relationships? Can you see how bitterness divides and hurts and tears down and destroys? You say, I have every right to be bitter. And maybe you have every right to have had a bitter taste in your soul. But my friend, God has commanded you to forgive and confess and forsake and move on. And to those of you here tonight that are likely to trust in your own logic and trust in your own ability. God has not called you to lean on your own understanding. God has cost you to trust him. David's inability to trust God and Saul's bitterness has now cost him a friendship. It's now cost him his marriage. We see letter B, his wife was deceitful. Letter C, and lastly notice, his protection was divine. His protection was divine. Here's the beautiful thing about the matter. Even when we blow it, God never lets us down. Aren't you thankful for that? God never lets us down. When we are not faithful to him, he is still faithful to us because it's his character to be faithful. The next several verses seem strange. In fact, I almost didn't even preach them because they're that strange. All right, But I believe there's a, a simple interpretation in a, in a biblical application here. Look at verse 18. We're gonna read at the end of the chapter. So David fled and escaped and came to to Samuel to Ramah. Now, let me pause. This was the first thing David did that was smart. He ran to the preacher. Amen. It's not quite running to God, but he's at least he's heading in the right direction. Amen, brother Kyle? He's heading in the right direction. And God now is going to intervene and step in and help David out. So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel, to Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naioth. Na- Na- and it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naioth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets, prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed um, over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then went he also to Ramah, and came to a great well that is in Seku, and he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Naeoth and Ramah. And he went thither to Naeoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naeoth and Ramah, and he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore, they say, is Saul among the prophets? Can you see how I... Does that not seem a little weird? All right, What's going on here? What's going on here? Saul, plagued with an evil spirit, sends messengers to have David killed, does not even care that Samuel is present. He wants David dead. Uh, The first band of messengers show up and they start prophesying. And then the second start prophesying. And the third start prophesying. So Saul decides to go and take matters in his own hand. And then he strips himself and he lays down naked and he starts prophesying. What is going on here? Well, I think there's some... Um, uh, easy clarifications and then a really strong application. When we hear the word prophecy, our immediate thought is that he was, you know, foretelling the future. That word prophecy does not just mean to foretell the future. It can mean to foretell or to preach or to praise God. Here's what I think, all right? I think that this first group of messengers showed up and the Spirit of God came down on them and they started praising God. Then the second group came up, and the first group standing there praising God. And they think, what, what's wrong with you all? You were sitting here to do something, and now you're standing there praising God. And the Spirit of God falls on them, and they start praising God. And then the third group starts praising God, and then along comes Saul, and he starts praising God. Now, as far as the naked thing goes, I don't think it means that he was in his birthday suit. All right, I don't think that's what that means. All right, I think what that means is that he took off his royal robes, and was down to the undergarments he would have wore below the royal robes, and he's laying there in his common clothes, and he's praising God. Now, what application can we take from this? Watch this now. Saul came with his God-given authority as king to do something that was against God's will in killing David, and God said, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. You're going to come here with your kingly robes on to kill my servant? Uh, Nope, I'm going to make you take off those robes. Now, I have stripped you of the dignity of being king. You're now nothing more, Saul, than a common man. Now, praise me. Praise me. Praise me. Praise me some more. Praise me some more. Lay there all day and praise me. No, you thought you were coming here to kill my servant. No, I've stripped you of your dignity. Now lay there and praise me. And praise me. You see, God's in charge. God's in charge. And God was not going to let something happen to David that was not his perfect will. God was not done with David. Saul's purpose was to refine David through his bitterness. Saul's purpose was not to kill David. And so God allowed that embittered spirit of the king to uh, begin the process of refining David and to show him all things that uh, David may grow uh, in the Lord and become more like him. Now, from chapter 19 to the end of the chapter, we're going to begin a long journey of David's refinement. Over the next several chapters, God is going to use many circumstances and people to show David his imperfections and, and 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 really, through great struggle, God is going to break David down and then build him up to be Israel's greatest king. Tonight, I want to ask you this: Have you had the wrong attitude about the problems that you've had in your life? Have you looked at it as just, well, life has just dealt me a a, a bad, a bad week, bad month, bad year? Uh, Life is just not fair. Life's not giving me what I want out of it. You know, my marriage is hard. My employment's hard. My my relationships are hard. Uh, Listen, maybe it's time to say time out, time out, time out. God, what are you doing in my life? How are you refining me to make me into who you want me to be? You're here tonight and you're dealing with bitterness. Listen, that bitterness is destroying you and destroying people around you, hurting people around you. You need to give that thing to the Lord and get it right. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. I apologize tonight for being all over the map. I wasn't dialed in with my articulation quite like I would have wanted, but I believe God can can use the truths anyway. And I hope God, the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart tonight. He has showed you maybe where you are embittered or where God's using someone else's shortcomings to make you better. My prayer for this evening is that you'll look deep down inside and you'll see just how it is that you can be a better child of God. Maybe you need to get on your knees this evening and ask God to take away the bitterness that's in your soul. Maybe here tonight, you need to ask the Lord to begin to look at your hardships from a completely different perspective. Lord, I pray this evening that you'd help us. Spirit of God, you do what only you can do. The word has been preached and gone forth, and now it's decision time. Help us, God, to become the Christians. Lord, that uh, you intended when you saved us. Thank you that that refiner's fire is constantly under us, bringing out those impurities. May we come forth as gold.